to see you all this morning. Excited to be here and praise our King. So feel free to join in.
the Lord. You know what? There it is. It's on. It says low battery, so if I disappear, you'll know what happened. <laughs> All right. Well, welcome. What a joy to sing, to share, and we're learning together that uh, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from God. That's from Deuteronomy chapter 8, and that's, that's what we're learning as people, that we need Him, right? We're just saying, we need you, God. We need you. Well, welcome to Rimrock Church. It's such a, uh, a joy to, for me to welcome you. Um, I'm Pastor Ben Green, and, uh, and I love this church, and I'm so thankful to be part of this community. Our vision is to be a community being transformed by Jesus Christ, and so we're all in that process of, of Jesus making us into new kinds of people, new, new creations. If you're here uh, for the first time, there's a little um, card in front of your seat. I invite you to fill that out so we can reach out to you and welcome you uh, to our community. Um, and if you've been coming for a few weeks or, or new and you want to learn more about Rimrock Church, this morning at 1030 in the gathering space, so it's a, it's a classroom right across uh, from here, um, there's a class called First Step. And uh, there's going to be some, some wonderful people in there, and they're going to share a little bit about the history of the church and a little bit about what God has done here. And you can learn more about Rimrock Church and get to know uh, some of the, the people who are here, part of the church. Also, if you uh, are a follower of Jesus um, and you've never been baptized, I want to invite you to pray about and consider taking that step of obedience. We're planning potentially to do a baptism next Sunday. Um, and uh, if if you want to wait, we also do a baptism this summer in the river, and it's really cold. But if you want a little warmer water, <laughs> this is a good time here to do it inside. So we're going to be uh, doing a baptism. So come talk, talk with me or talk to another pastor or one of our elders, and we'd love to share more about baptism. We don't believe baptism saves us. We believe Jesus saves us, but baptism is our, our declaration. It's our witness to the world that that. Jesus was crucified for us, that he died for our sins, and that we are raised to new life in him. It's, it's a picture of the gospel, and we are declaring that truth to the world. So please uh, let me know if that's something you're interested in. We've partnered uh, with a ministry for many years called uh, ISI, International Student uh, Ministry. I don't, I don't know what the I stands for. I know it's International Student. What is it? Incorporated. Thank you, Kelly. <laughs> so... Kelly uh, Weishadell and Randy are going to be back in the um, gathering area. There's a little table there. And on Friday, February 3rd, did I get that right, Kelly? We are going to be serving a meal. So we get to partner, and they're going to feed over 100 international students. Now, how many of you remember college days, right? And a home-cooked meal is so valuable. But what's even, even more... I can have a lot of feedback. So what's even more special is that these kids or these uh, students don't have family nearby. Their families are way across the world. So in a sense, we get to be surrogate family. We get to step in. And so I invite you to talk to Kelly and Randy. And it's, um, I think if we all do it together, there's uh, going to be some chicken. You can bring drinks. You can bring one part of the meal. And so all together, we'll be able to feed and, uh, and welcome these students to our community. So please talk to Kelly and Randy. Okay. And then this uh, next Sunday... We're going to do something very different. It's a little uncomfortable, but I think it's good for us. Uh, we're actually not going to be meeting here. We're going to be meeting at the Performance Arts Center, one service at 9 o'clock. So next Sunday, 
uh, we won't be here. We'll be at the Performing Arts Center, and here's why. Because we believe God has called us um, to be one church in two locations. We have a downtown campus, and we're going to be coming all together. Uh, we only do this a few times a year. We do this at Easter time, uh, but we're going to do this uh, next Sunday uh, because we believe it's a, it's a crucial time for us as a church. We have a big decision to make. We have a membership meeting right after our service, but, but the worship service is going to be focused on Jesus and our identity in Him. As we go through Revelation, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 4, where Jesus that throne room scene, and we're going to be reminded who we are as the church. And what defines us is not the building we meet in. Jesus is the one who defines who we are as his people. It's who we are as people, who God is creating us to be as people. And so uh, we're going to uh, all meet together, worship together. Uh, we're going to be celebrating communion together, maybe having baptisms together. And then uh, right after, after the 9 o'clock service, uh, we'll have a membership meeting uh, where we'll be doing an important vote on a potential new uh, building purchase. But would you pray about that? And then um, this Sunday, right after second service, we're going to have a Q&A session. So I know there's a lot of questions out there about, uh, about what we're doing as a church, and so we just want a time to, to listen to questions, listen to you guys. So uh, right after second service, right in this room, we'll be uh, meeting. So let's continue in our, our worship this morning. I want to pray Psalm 24. I was uh, praying this this morning, and I think um, this will be really important for us to pause and, and think about who God is. Verse 1 of, chapter, of Psalm 24, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Do you believe that this morning? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. So who do we belong to? We belong to him, for he founded it on the seas, and he established it in the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord. Amen? And vindication from God, their Savior. So who saves us? Oh, God. Praise your name. Such is the generations of those who seek him, who seek the face of God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord Almighty, he is the king of glory. Amen. Oh 
Thank you, praise team. Good morning, y'all. We are in our study of the book of Revelation, and Revelation means uh, to reveal, to unveil, to show something. And I'm convinced that the, the thing to be revealed is ultimately the glory and majesty and power of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to be in Revelation chapter 3. And we are in the middle of, in, in the book of Revelation, there are seven letters to seven churches of Asia Minor. And so today we are in the, the last three churches. So four, or, um, sorry, four. What's the math there? <laughs> seven, six, five. Okay, we'll get there. Um, this book is written, it's, it's considered apocalyptic literature. And so basically, to help us understand that, uh, some things as I've been uh, kind of interacting with is it uses lots of symbols to communicate ideas. So this book was written in about 96 AD, uh, and sometimes these ideas are harder to, or these symbols are harder to discern than others, and other times it goes straightforward and tells us. Uh, I think it was when Ben was preaching, talked about Jesus being among the lampstands, and then it says the lampstands represent the churches or the stars represent the messengers, or some translations say angels. And so there's a lot of symbolism in this book, in apocalyptic literature. Um, apocalyptic means the same thing, to, to reveal or to unveil. And so there's some different things that are taking place, but I have found it really helpful to look for idea for idea as opposed to word for word. And if we can come to understand, like, what is the idea trying to be communicated to us here, uh, I think that's easier to interpret, and I honestly think this is, is, is a helpful way to approach the whole Bible, where if, if this book is about God wanting to be understood so that he can be known, uh, many times we have to look for these ideas. And you guys understand this where, you know, this was written um, over a span of a long time. The book we're in now was 3,000 years ago, so totally different culture, totally different language. I can remember watching my missionary friend translate Portuguese, and he wouldn't sit there and just translate word for word, and many of you have seen this, or, or translate yourself. You hear the idea, and then you communicate the idea. 
you go back and you hear the idea and you communicate the idea and that's the best way to know what they are trying to communicate because many times we don't even have one word for their word. So consider that as we're reading this. Consider that as you're um, at times when we're, the Bible can be a confusing, difficult book. Um, so kind of take that approach and see if that helps. The other thing is I hope uh, you understand when we're reading Revelation that the author is also assuming some things that we know. And so he is considering his current audience, uh, which we'll talk about a little bit, and he is assuming they have some background information of their culture, uh, of the, the Hebrew Bible, and so he's using things that they, they would be familiar with that they know. There's a lot of times that we don't, and so one is let Scripture interpret Scripture. So it, when I'm reading Revelation, there's so many times God brought all these other passages in the Bible that triggered or mirrored or layered on top of that. And I'd hear something, I'd think, oh, that reminds me of this. Oh, that reminds me of this. And so I'd have to go back to those other scriptures, read those, see if I have an understanding of that. And it, it's, it was a lens for me to now understand what some of the symbolism means in Revelation. I hope that doesn't overwhelm you if you think, man, I don't, I don't know my whole Bible. That's okay. Um, I hope you continue to, to read it on your own, uh, to become familiar with it, and I think other things, other ideas will, will clarify, and I hope you also read it together, which honestly, this is what we're doing here. There's so many things that if I read alone or left to, to myself, I wouldn't understand. Um, I'm not as much of a student as some of my other pastor friends, and so there's times where uh, other scriptures will come to me, but as far as other books and other ideas from history, I wouldn't know it unless a friend taught it to me. So even preparing for this, last week Boomer taught me about the history of the, the Church of Sardis. Like, so read the Bible alone, but also read it together, sit under teaching, and I think, again, the whole point is not to puff up in knowledge. The whole point is, if we can have an understanding of this book, we will have a greater understanding of who this Jesus is. And I think when we see him, when we behold him as he truly is, um, we will can't do anything but worship, can't do anything but receive grace upon grace and uh, blessings for obedience. Um, so as we dive into this now, would you pray uh, with me? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word, that it is enduring, um, everlasting, that it is the testimony of who you are. And that's why we come, that's why we open this, to truly honor you, to take our rightful place underneath you and to understand and continue to preach and minister um, to each other to communicate that, that underneath you is the greatest place that we can be. So we, we stand under your grace and under your love and ask that your spirit would give us ears to hear, uh, just like the, the churches of Asia Minor needed um, your mercy and your grace. We need it now. And we trust you to give it. In Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that I think helped me interpret this is uh, think of political comics. So would you, would you throw this political comic up? I tried to get one that wouldn't aggravate anyone too much. Um, but you think about when we look at this, we see an elephant with a pilgrim suit. Uh, we understand uh, what Social Security is and what Medicare is. And so as we take a quick glance of this, we kind of have the, the artist assumes that we know some of these things. And none of us went about studying the fact that an elephant represented a political party. 
like we're just exposed to it, right? So within our culture, we know that an elephant represents Republicans. We know what a pilgrim is, and so we have a better idea of what this is talking about. You can shut her down now. So the same thing is true when we read Revelation and you hear things about a dragon, like the author is assuming, oh, dragon, not always, but in a lot of scripture, represents evil, represents um, darkness, represents the devil. And so he's assuming we know those things, right? And so think through that. We're not saying uh, this isn't, I believe this is the inerrant word of God, but it's using a lot of symbolism to communicate meaning and ideas. So you end time junkies, I think we need to be very careful that we're not taking, uh, reading the news, taking a political character or any character, and then searching the scriptures to find out which character this is. Most of the time it's idea for idea. This represents good, this represents evil, this represents bondage, this represents hope. At the same time, I believe the book of Revelation is full of um, present things that we can apply. I think it does pull back on the past, and I think it does project a lot of the future. So I believe that God is addressing all of those things as we read it today, as well as when he decided by his spirit to give his man John this vision, this picture, and says, write it down and give it to these specific churches at this specific time in this specific place. I believe within all of that, God's desire was to be made known for them, so that it would encourage them. It would give them hope. And in um, Romans 15, 4, so this is Paul writing to the Romans, and it says this, For whatever was written in earlier times, so that would have been like Hebrew Bible, right? Whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So I believe the same thing. Even though it was written to these churches in Asia Minor, for them, it is also written for us. And it's fascinating to think of what Paul was trying to do is to encourage them in the scriptures to persevere. And I really believe that's a common theme and a main theme in these letters we're going to talk about today is God is trying to give courage to these churches. And I really believe that's what he's asking and wanting for us as well. Uh, ever since Christ's ascension, the church has been called to be aware of his presence. His presence today, here and now, by the Holy Spirit. And the church has been called to look forward to his coming, his judgment, uh, his blessing, his reign. And so regardless if we're a church in Asia or a church right now in the Black Hills, we're continually called to acknowledge and recognize the glory and the presence of God, the help of God with us and look forward to the promises to come. I think there's a couple main ideas in this book. The first one, surprise, surprise, I think is the glory and sovereignty of Jesus Christ. I think that is the theme that is on every single page of this Bible, but specifically with all kinds of power uh, in this book. And as Ben said, in next week and the week after, we get to Revelation chapter 4 and 5, which is this incredible throne room of God, this incredible picture of the majesty of God. And for me personally, and I, I say this up front, so as we dive into the text here, um, you have a little bit of a lens. As I've looked through the book of Revelation, one of the things that has taken place is God has become bigger and bigger. And I really think when the majesty of God is on display, the troubles of the world, the trials, the things that tend to overwhelm get smaller and smaller. 
where they don't disappear, we all know, just like these churches were suffering intense persecution. And many of you are going through trials, and if you're not right now, you know you will, uh, or you know you have. But what has happened to me is as God becomes all-powerful, those things now become, I have the ability to handle them with some peace. And in those moments that I don't understand everything, as long as I continue to behold the majesty of the God who has written me on his heart and given me his heart, all of a sudden, the world gets smaller. Some of you, your sin at times or your shame seems to overwhelm and overtake and become too much. And I think what this book does is it exemplifies the glory of Jesus and his forgiveness and his work on the cross. And so when his forgiveness is complete and elevated, you find yourself free from that shame and that bondage that chases you. Lastly, I think all of these letters, the, the first letter to the seventh letter, they begin with this idea of God's love, and they end with this idea of God's love. And in the middle, there's tons of rebuke. There's tons of warning. There's tons of challenge. But he bookmarks each of these by saying, don't forget that I'm going to say some hard things to you. But don't forget, just like a good father or a good mother, it is wrapped and enveloped in love. And so as we dive into that, I think it's, it's utterly important. Another thing to frame our work is Ephesians 3.11. Many of you heard me say this over and over. Uh, it says this, This was according to the eternal purposes that God has realized in Jesus Christ our Lord. And I think the book of Revelation has this cosmic plan of God laid out to us. And it's the same thing. It's showing us that those eternal purposes, those, that cosmic plan, all of that has been realized, or what we just sang, for and through and to Jesus Christ. So as we read this, that is the lens that we ought to approach all of these things, whether they're confusing or clear. That will help shape and keep us, I think, in the right path as we seek to understand this and then apply this in our life. Okay, so at this time, uh, again, written around 95 AD, the church is under intense persecution. Uh, the church has always had opposition, but a lot of times it was from the religious leaders, right? And now all of a sudden it's pivoted to, like, the governmental power. Um, so Ben mentioned Nero and just all of the, the, um, the persecution that took place from the Roman Empire that in some ways had all the power and could do whatever they wanted. And so... This is what John is writing. This is the, the context that, that God is speaking into to either challenge or, or encourage uh, his people. So Jerusalem was, was destroyed right after this. So in 70 AD is when Rome sacked and, and utterly destroyed Jerusalem. Um, tons of Christians were killed. Uh, many historians think Paul, Peter, and Timothy were all killed at some point within that same time. So if you imagine some of the uh, preachers that we listen to and follow the most... The, famous Christians, if all of a sudden we found out our government just kind of drugged them out and, and began executing them, that's the, that's the tension that, that Christians are under here. So the first church, if you open your Bibles, uh, Revelation 3, the first church is the church of Sardis, and it says this, to the angel of the church in Sardis, right, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name or reputation that you're alive, but you are dead. Wake up. 
and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard, and keep it, and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will, know, you will not know what hour I will come. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So the message to Sardis is wake up. You look like a vibrant, healthy Christian church, but your deeds aren't complete. You become totally complacent behind your great gates. And this is what Boomer taught me. Thought Sardis was a city on a hill, had a great big wall. It was well protected. But multiple times in their history, they were ambushed uh, from the back gate. And so as they sat there comfortable, looking healthy, uh, they weren't vigilant. They became totally complacent. And so the, the warning to them and the call to them is wake up. Get serious about the battle, about your faith. Repent. Remember what you have received. I think it's really easy in our culture to settle for just complacency. That we have, we're a culture of comfort. And I, I think God is all about comfort and peace, and many times he offers that as blessing. But I think we understand what it means when we are no longer scanning the horizon to see where God wants us to minister. Where we are like a fallen farmland that sits there, and in the spring, it turns green a little bit, maybe some wildflowers. It's undisturbed, it's unsettled, and then it turns brown in the winter over and over and over. But to produce life, to produce growth, what has to happen? There needs to be some work, some tilling, some disturbance, some action. And from that comes true growth, where the harvest then adds fuel and food the animals and to people to go out and do the work of God. And as a church or as individuals, is God asking us to wake up to some things in our life? David in Psalms 57, he cries out, Awake my glory. Awake the harp and the lyre. I will awaken the dawn. Tozer talks about throughout church history, there's been these cycles of tons of growth and tons of movement and tons of ministry. And then just this settling, where we're settling into the things of the world, where we're beginning to be apathetic, we're being conformed, all of the things that these churches are guilty of. And he says, then every once in a while, someone will rise up and challenge hell. I want to be a church that rises up and challenges hell. For you elderly people, I first want to apologize that my generation and the generation below me has done a poor job honoring the gray hairs. We don't do that like we should. So I apologize for the way that we haven't looked to you for guidance, that we haven't honored you when you enter a room, that we haven't just given you your due credit for long life lived well. But I also want to challenge you. I want to know and see. Oh, 
old men and old women who will challenge hell within their families, within their communities, within their church. That doesn't mean you have to keep working at a job. You can slow your pace down. But man, I want you to continue to scan the horizon to ask, where does God want to pour his spirit out of me and pour courage onto the next generation? It's time that we all wake up. They became stagnant. What's the solution? Remember what you have received and repent. So the solution isn't just a rah-rah speech and then get busy. The solution brings us right back to Corinthians 4, 7. Everything that you have is gift. Remember what you have what? Received. It brings us right back to the grace of God. It brings us right back to understanding and recognizing our equipping for ministry, our equipping for growth, for good works, is the grace that has been granted to us. It says otherwise, and this is a theme as well, you'll see within each of these letters that obedience to God, repentance, surrender to Him, continues to produce blessing. And there's different kinds of blessing mentioned in all these letters, but I think the main point is you continue to get blessed by God when you're obedient. But he also gives warning. When you go your own way, when you are disobedient, there's all kinds of trials that take place. So the one that's pulled out here is like that thief in the night, I will come. And so again, looking at Scripture to interpret Scripture, this reminds me of 1 Thessalonians 5. 2 Peter 3, listen to what 1 Thessalonians 5 is. It says, Now to the times and the epics, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. Hmm, there it is. While they are saying peace and safety, destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains. But you, brethren, you are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief, for you are all sons of the light and sons of the day. For we are not of the darkness. So let's not sleep as others do. This helps translate, right? Saying you're sleeping, wake up. And gives us ideas. But be alert and sober. Since you are of the day, be alert. Having put on the breastplate of faith, of love, I'm sorry, and the helmet, the hope of your salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are dead or alive, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are also doing. I think you can take 1 Thessalonians 5 and layer it right over Revelation 3. How about 2 Peter 3? It says, I'm stirring up in you a sincere way of reminder. Know this, that in the last days, mockers will come, following their own lust, saying, where is this promise of his coming? And it escapes their notice that the word of God, and by his word, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment, the destruction of ungodly men. This is sounding a little bit more like Revelation here, right? The Lord is not slow to his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards those. So here we go. Revelation, 
2 Peter 3 isn't just telling us all of these little things that we're supposed to try to figure out everything about it. It's telling us these things so we can figure out who God is. And so listen to this. As it is talking about destruction, as it is talking about the flood and renewing, as it is talking about to be destroyed by fire, it says this, be sober-minded. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. But what do we learn from God? He is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What's he asking of the church in Asia Minor? Repent and remember what you have received. What's he asking of Rimrock Church? What do you have to repent of? Remember what you have received. Since, um, okay, the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away, with the roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all of these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be? Conduct yourselves with holiness and in godliness. 2 Peter three seventeen and 18. You therefore, knowing beforehand, be on your guard, not carried away by the errors of unprincipled men, and fall from your own steadfast. But here's the part. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. So the solution is to grow in the knowledge of his grace and to grow in the knowledge of him. And I'm pretty convinced that's going to be the same solution throughout this whole thing, throughout all of eternity. The more I understand the grace of God applied towards me, the more I understand his character then I have a lens to interpret what my action, what my response is in all of this. The Church of Philadelphia. This is one of the churches that, for the most part, is doing pretty well. They are enduring incredible trial, and God says, keep persevering. He who is holy, he who is true, he who has the keys to David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one will open, says this. By the way, you'll notice as well, all these letters start with who Jesus is. It starts with his identity, and then pivots to the churches. He says, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut, because I know you have little power. But you have kept my word, and you have not denied my name. So one of the first interesting things, you can keep that up there. As you look at Sardis, as you look at Philadelphia, as you look at Laodicea, God sees and understands their city. He knows their struggles. He knows their strengths. He knows their weaknesses. And he knows the message they need to hear. And I'm telling you, God sees you. He knows your strengths. He knows your weaknesses. He knows the message you need to hear. He sees exactly where you're at. He knows your circumstance and your surrounding, and he wants to speak into that. He's a living, personal, sovereign God. So in Philadelphia, he says, I know you are enduring incredible trials, but you are doing well by not forsaking me, by holding on to your faith, saying, grind it out. You have not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not, but lie, I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I love you. So not only will your enemies bow down, what he is teaching them is that this is my man. This is my woman. I am their God and I love them. 
goes on to say, You have kept my word, so I will keep you from an hour of testing that is to come upon the whole world. I am coming quickly. Hold fast, so that no one will take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write my name and the name of my God on him, which comes down out of heaven. He who has an ear, let him hear. So in some ways, God's saying, I know you are enduring trials, Philadelphia. And as you are enduring, I am going to deliver you and spare you from some other forms of trial. Exactly what that means, not sure. But some of you are doing really well persevering. Suffering in faith. And Galatians says, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. So for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to the flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time you will reap what you sow. So then, while you have an opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who are the household of the faith. There's many times where you're enduring and you're not sure you have what it takes for the next and the next, and how long can we do this? And I don't know God's timing, but I promise you, like the church in Philadelphia, he's going to show up. He's going to show up in your life, and it's going to be the right time. And as he does, same, similar to the church, he says, you will be associated with me. You will be a pillar in my temple. You will take on my name, and I will take on your name. He says, you will be identified with the King of kings and Lord of lords. And if you are a Christian, that's your, that's your identity. That's your position before Almighty God. And so whatever you are enduring well now, God says, hang in there. I promise I will show up. And I promise you will have reward and a crown for that. To the church of Laodicea, says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of creation of God, says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot, I wish you were cold or hot, but because you are lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, I have become wealthy, I have no need of anything, you do not know that you are wretched and miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy gold from me refined by fire so that you may become rich, white garments so that you may clothe yourself, that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed, and eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. So this is a church that has, in some ways, become totally indifferent to God. It's a church that probably doesn't look any different than the world around them. It's a church that is relying on themselves. They think they're rich, and God says you're poor. They think they see, and God says you're blind. I think this is a great picture of us as Christians where how many times do we are in union with Christ, but yet we live as if we don't need him. And we forget that we need Jesus every day. Laodicea forgot that they have no good apart from God. And so he's warning them, wake up, recognize your nakedness. Wake, recognize your wretchedness. Learn 
again to be dependent upon me and my grace. He says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. So this is an invitation. He rebukes them, says, you've forgotten your desperate dependence on me. But I love you, and I'm continuing to knock at the door of your heart. And if you open, I will come and fellowship with you. I will live life with you. That's the daily invitation that God gives us. To be with him. To have communion with him. To be used by him. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne. Also, as I have overcame and sat with my father on his throne. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. So my question to us today is, what would a letter to Rimrock Church read? What would he tell us we're doing good? Continue in that. What would he tell us we need to repent of? What would he tell us we need to wake up to? What would he challenge us towards? What would he remind us? And specifically, what would a letter to me read? What would a letter to you read? What's God asking you to do? Is it wake up? Is it persevere? Is it be reminded that you're living life indifferent to God? I think most of this is a reminder that we battle from a position of victory. A victory that Jesus Christ has won and has invited us into. So make no mistake, the battle's raging, but he's continuing to tell us that you are a part of me and I have overcome. So as long as you continue to rest and abide and stay connected in me, be strong in my grace, you too will overcome. And in your faithful obedience, I will give blessing. And let me warn you, in my love, when you go away from me, things will not go well. So Nick, repent and come back and open the door. Rimrock Church, continue to be about your father's business. That we would be a group of people who are fiercely dependent upon Jesus Christ to challenge the hell in our lives and around us. Let's pray. Father God, it will probably take some, some thought and some time to slow down to get away to figure out what your letter to us as individuals would look like. It'll probably take some humility to, to look into our lives or to even ask people around us what do we need to repent of? And I hope we're a church that, aside from just confronting each other, I hope we're a church that continues to encourage each other, that we would be very quick to remind our spouses and our kids and our parents and our brothers and our sisters of the things that they are doing so well. So that when it does come time to confront, that they would recognize it's done in love. 
And so, God, I pray that we would hear your voice today. I just thank you so much for knowing us and for seeing us, for never giving up on us, and for giving us a purpose to further your kingdom. Thank you for this book and how it expresses that in unique ways that can inspire us. We love you, honor you, and praise you. Amen.
thanks so much for being here. Hope to see you guys around this week, but not here next Sunday. See you down at the Performing Arts Center next Sunday.